All right, I'm going to call us back together here. We'll continue to worship today as we encounter the teaching text. And first, uh, let's sing a bit of this chorus together. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together that we will feast and weep no more. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes, in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will put the sheep to his right and the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was the stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The word of the Lord. We will feast in the house of Zion. Sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together that we will feast and we Amen. Well, good morning, Mars Hill. Good morning to everyone online. Hey, one thing that Tim was supposed to tell you is that, you know, we've been praying for him and his shoulder. Y'all be gentle with him today. <laughs> Seriously, this man on his right side, if you go up to him, just resist giving him a nice hard pat on the shoulder. Just give him a fist bump instead. Tim, we want to take good care of you. Thank you, brother. Glad you're here. Um, hey, to begin this morning, let's share some good news. What is one thing that's happened recently that's been like the best thing ever in your life? What's been the best thing that's happened to you in recent days? I want to hear answers live. Yeah, live. Anyone? You're on vacation right now? This is vacation for you? Well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Mars Hill Bible Church Resort Incorporated. Okay, other good news. Tomatoes. Your tomatoes were great this year. Are we going to see some next week? Okay, I'll be waiting. All right, one more. Yes, Brad. Family visiting. Family visiting. Family in the house. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. Um, Listen, I need, I need to share some good news from the island end of things. Um, I've been waiting months to share this with you. Uh, finally, the best thing that has happened to our family in recent days is that we finally made it to Disney World, folks. 
We made it. I know, right? If you're new to our community, almost a year ago now, I shared that our daughter had been holding Delwyn and me to a promise for three years. When she was three, I flippantly promised her that we'd go to Disney World when she turned six, which would have been last December. And because that child has a mind like a steel trap, I told you all that she reminded us every two days, approximately, of this promise to take her to Disney World. And this past week, as of 7 p.m. yesterday, y'all, we were in Florida at Disney, and it was amazing, and it was a grand time. So thank you for sharing your enthusiasm with us over the past like eight months or something. Um, let me tell you, there was one aspect of our Disney experience, Lori Gordon, you know about all of this that makes a difference, okay? Because one person in our family is differently abled, we took the whole family, extended and everything. Disney had a way for us to get into a virtual line. Can I get an amen? Okay. So instead of waiting two hours for Space Mountain, at Magic Kingdom, what you did was you walked up to the front of the line, you said, hey, I have this pass, we'll check in for the ride, we still wait the two hours, but then we got to do other stuff. We got to actively wait, we got to go get lunch, we rode other rides with the smaller children, we got to sit in the shade, we missed the rain, because it rained two out of three days that we were there in the parks, okay? So we're there, we're waiting, and then after two hours when the slot approached, we made our way through the fast pass, Hallelujah. And we're able to experience so much more together because we were actively waiting, anticipating return time. And yet, as I was breezing past the standard entry line <laughs> at Magic Kingdom Space Mountain, guess who I was thinking about? I was thinking about you. I was thinking about our church and I had to check in my spirit because in preparation for this morning, I was tempted to think that this final phrase and this part of the Apostles' Creed centered on Jesus for some of us might be challenging to proclaim. I'll walk us through that challenge in a bit, but for now, as has been our custom, would you stand if you're willing and able and let's recite the creed up to where we're landing this morning. Okay, ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. You may be seated. Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. These are words that in prayer, as I was preparing for today, the Holy Spirit nudged me to acknowledge might be a challenge. I've not done this with previous weeks, but felt like we need to take a moment here. 
Here's what I want you to do. Examine this phrase carefully. It's on the screen for you. And I want you to pay attention to what simmers to the surface after reading these words. What emotion, what feeling? What do you viscerally sense within you? Is it indifference? Apathy? Anxiety? Fear? The reason I wanted us to pause here is because, church, our understanding of and reaction to Jesus' return will impact how we live now. Our understanding of and reaction to Jesus' return will absolutely impact how we choose to live now, today. Space Mountain, I was reassured of a time, waited with expectancy, excitement, anticipation, made plans, ordered lunch ahead. We didn't go too far in the park so we didn't miss it. We actually returned early because we were so excited. Our anticipation of reassurance of a return time impacted what we did in the wait. But when I read this phrase over and over again, what I noticed I kept reacting to was the word judge. Anyone else? Anyone? Yeah. Judge. Versus the reassurance of his coming again. Marcel, I want us as the body of Christ to be reverently reassured by his return time. Not anxious, apathetic, or threatened. Because operating as the body of Christ from a posture of anxiety and apathy towards or threatened by Jesus' coming again will only compel us to wait in the here and now with timidity, indifference, and defensiveness when we are called to and claimed to be a particular people as Mars Hill Bible Church that is on mission in part to announce the arrival of his kingdom. If you are not familiar with our mission statement, it's right there in the middle. We claim to be a people who are announcing the arrival of his kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been on the other side of an unenthusiastic announcement? There is a difference between Hey, it's family fun night, y'all, and you get to pick the pizza and the movie. Right? There's a difference between that and, hey, it's time for your root canal. <laughs> Am I right? There's a difference there. We won't gladly and confidently announce the arrival of Jesus' kingdom to the world if we've been conditioned to think that Jesus' coming is like a root canal. And that we should be scared, indifferent, or anywhere in between on that spectrum. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. He is the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega. He is healer. 
that's who Jesus is. His arrival is not bad news. When we look at the early Christians' understanding and anticipation of Christ's second coming, we find that confident hope. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4. After the dead rise first, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The verb to meet, according to the commentator Leon Morris, indicated the welcoming of a newly arrived dignitary. Add to that the mention of air, which was thought to be the place where evil spirits dwelled, according to first century thought. In the first Christians, they were anticipating this complete supremacy of Jesus ruling over evil, ready to welcome and meet them in a specific place. This was a fulfillment of prophecy, of Daniel's prophecy. Just listen, Daniel chapter 7, I want to read this to you straight from the word itself. Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus was a fulfillment of this word. And yet there were those who wouldn't have accepted Jesus as judge. Does anyone remember who we've talked about during our uh, recent heresy highlights? Tim? Anyone? Starts with an M. Marcion. Okay. I see you, Tim. The Old Testament God, according to Marcion, was the judge. The Old Testament God was the judge. And Jesus was the benevolent, as Gary called him, the cool uncle, all forgiving God. But what this belief did was create a division within people's idea and perceptions of the Godhead and also between the ideas of justice and love. My fear is that today we're still pitting those ideas of justice and love against one another when we think about judgment. But remember Dr. Burge's beautiful reminder from last week. I haven't soon forgotten this. Jesus came to reveal God's heart, not to convince the Father's heart. Recently on a car trip, we had one kid snatch another kid's toy away in the back seat. And so justice was thereby served. Okay, I said to kid A, you need to give the toy back to your sibling. This is only fair, this is just. But then the kid who had sibling's toy unrightfully piped up and asked, why do you love that sibling more than you love me? This always happens. Why do you love that sibling more than you love me? That person, that little child, couldn't hold both the unending love for them that 
I had as their mother, and the idea of justice at the same time. And I think we do this too, church both within the church and within culture. Some of us feel that God's love demands that all is forgiven, right? We understand this idea of forgiveness, but then we leave no space for an understanding of biblical judgment, justice, and accountability. Well, others feel God's judgment demands eternal punishment, but then leave no room or imagination for the power and the mystery of God's love. Make no mistake, God is not divided. God is not half of anything. 1 John 1.5, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Justo Gonzalez, who we've referenced a lot during this series, he gives us clarity on how our limitations and understanding prevent us from grasping this idea. He says, our limited understanding of love does not permit us to understand how God's love can be fulfilled in conjunction with infinite justice. And that our limited understanding of justice does not allow us to understand how God's justice can be fulfilled in conjunction with infinite love. So the question for this morning is how do we join ourselves with the first Christians, right? and sharing the joy in anticipating Christ's return as good news versus approaching it with anxiety, apathy, or fear? How do we not just pit justice and love against one another and instead wait well in the midst of a culture that loves to pit love and justice against each other? I think we need two redeemed conversations, two redeemed conversations around judgment, and justice. So first, let's talk about judgment. Uh, brief reminder here, Jesus is not Judge Judy. Okay? He is not an imperfect judge made for TV to entertain us, to be held at the whims of who we think is right or wrong. Because our limitations of judges in this world is so limited, because imperfect people have occupied that office, we might be tempted to think that Jesus is like one of them. He is not. He is perfect. His judgment supersedes that which we could accomplish all on our own, even with the best of intentions. Michael F. Byrd says this, Jesus isn't coming to inflict apocalyptic carnage on a bunch of innocent agnostics, but to bring God's redemptive purposes to a majestic consummation. In this word, this, this word consummation, this really is a fulfillment. It's a final step in the choreography that Gary was talking about last week. He's coming to make the redemptive purposes of God complete at his second coming. Both Hans Urs von Balthasar and Ben Myers pointed out in their works on the creed that specifically to judge means dividing or separating things into distinct Parts. Therefore, our text for this morning, when Tim read out of Matthew 25, separating the sheep from the goats, this idea of judgment is really about a separation. Um, what was Jesus doing? 
He was separating these, these sheep from these goats. And in this passage, sheep and goats were mixed together, just as they would have been in Palestinian flocks. And they weren't easy to tell apart. These weren't the, like white fluffy sheep of little Bo Peep, okay? So what's being done in Matthew 25 here is a separation between the Old Testament imagery representing God's people, that's a recognizable image for us, that image of sheep, and everyone else. But the separation won't just happen between those sheep and goats, friends. The light will also be separated from darkness within us. Within us. The truth from what's false. All the parts within us that are incongruent and unaligned will be sifted. And because of that grace, Ben Meyer says this beautifully, grace itself divides those who encounter it. When Christ's light shines into our lives, it creates a division within ourselves. In the presence of Christ's power and authority, it's not just them. It's not just the world that cannot remain in darkness. It's us. In his presence, we will be fully known. And this should be a comforting thought, but for many of us, it's terrifying. I'll show you what I mean. Quick exercise. Turn to someone next to you or across the aisle from you without talking and look them in the eye until I say stop. Some of you are freaking out right now. Just do it. Look at someone next to you or across the aisle in the eye. Okay, stop. It took about four seconds for a nervous giggle. And, I, and, and, the, and the thankful laughter of that release. Let me tell you, we did this exercise in my spiritual formation cohort back in Chicagoland. And we did this exercise to prove something. That there's something about being held within another's gaze that for some reason is wildly uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. We only lasted four seconds. And yet, here's what I want us to understand about the judgment of God. When Jesus comes back, we will be fully known. Held in Jesus' presence and within Jesus' gaze. Friends, what's uncomfortable now will be the thing that should bring comfort to us when Jesus returns again. And this is why I also say it could be terrifying because many of us don't know what it's like to truly be known by another. What is that preparing us for? How can we say Jesus transform and shape us to be fully known by you? So in having a redeemed conversation around judgment, the question is can we handle the truth, can we handle being fully known? Take comfort in this church. One day you will come to realize just how fully known you are. Those of you who have been lonely will be lonely no more. 
Those of you who have felt misunderstood will be known in the presence of your creator. Those of you who have lived feeling gaps within yourself, not understanding something about who you are, someone you've lived with, those will come into the light of Jesus' presence. You will be fully known. And in Christ's presence, on that day when we're fully known, there will be a separation that accompanies that deep knowledge and intimacy. Myers again says this, the separation hurts, but the pain of truth heals. It does not destroy. For any of you who have gone through a painful surgery or recovery, when something is healing again and it's painful, it does not destroy you, and yet the pain is real. Coming into the light reveals and exposes but the pain will heal, it will not destroy you. God's judgment is meant to achieve God's ultimate redemptive purposes in the world and in you. So we must consider where do we still long for that redemption? Where do you look at the world around us and say, why isn't that fixed yet? Where do you look at yourself on the inside and say, why isn't that fixed yet? Take heart, church, as we wait. Jesus' return will satisfy that question, and that is good news. So the first conversation that needs to be redeemed is that around judgment, but the second is around justice. Justice today has come to mean one of a couple things if I have to whittle it down. A punitive response to harm or lawlessness, or perhaps a positive response in light of something owed. Here's the kicker, though. If we only hold this within a cultural context, both can be absent truth, love, and a redemptive pursuit. Gonzalez again, justice is when everything is in its proper place. Such justice isn't contrary to love, but is actually a form of love. Just this past week, um, while we were in Florida, Dylan and I had a conversation. And I was honest with him, and I said, you know what, there's this part of my life that I do, I ask God about, like, God, when will this ever, when will I see some fruit of healing in this place? There was a harm done, I don't understand if I'll ever see fruit or healing. And, and with tears in my eyes, Dylan asked, well, what are you, how are you sitting with that right now? having been harmed and, and not seeing that come to full healing yet. And I said, well, here's what I have to understand about God. This is what I, I'm choosing to believe about God. I'm trusting that that harm will be fully healed beyond my wildest imagination one day. It may not be today, but one day. And I trust that God's love will prevail beyond comprehension. Not just for me, but for everyone involved. It is not a selfish understanding. I choose to believe that both the healing will happen and God's love will prevail in ways that I don't yet understand. And yet I understand this about myself. If my hope is driven by vengeance, absent of truth, love, and redemptive potential, it's not God's justice. And yet I believe that's what most of the justice we're subscribing to today likes to think that we're the ones who pursue it on our own. 
And yet we have to have those elements of who God is in that pursuit. If you are living, church, in the wake of harm, pain, grief, and maybe you've asked the same question I've asked, when will this be resolved? When will someone see me? And perhaps your idea of God's love for you has been threatened by that question. Know that this is precisely why Jesus' second coming is good news. Because with it brings redemption. With it, all things will be exposed. Church, we can be confident in Jesus' perfect judgment. That in Christ's justice, all will be redeemed and put in its rightful place in the world and within us. But one final thought for us this morning. What we do matters. We are not uninvited from announcing his arrival and joining with God and and in partnership with the Spirit in pursuing redemptive potential because Jesus is coming again. So this morning, there are three areas I want you to consider. Just take a look at these questions. What is the truth that God longs to reveal in you? Perhaps it's something that you've been sitting with or running from. And you have not sat before God and allowed the light of Jesus to reveal that in you fully. When's the last time you've asked, Lord, search me and know me. See me if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The prayer from the Psalms. A practice that you might engage. And if you have questions about any of these practices, we've got formation school coming up. Tim is a great leader in this area. But the practice of confession and repentance. To understand what it's like to be enfolded in the love of God while also confessing. This is what's been revealed in me. Second area is to consider how might God long to transform our judgment of others. We don't like to think about this one. (laughs) We like to stay parked in, in the ways that we've been harmed, perhaps, or the injustices that we feel are too much to handle. But it's very clear. James 2, verse 13, we'll start in verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What have you been clinging to that this morning, because Jesus is coming back, you can release that merciless judgment of someone else and say, Lord, please transform this in me. Please transform this relationship. And finally, how might God long for us to announce Jesus is coming now? As was read in our text for this morning, there was a separation, but Jesus said, I recognize you as my sheep because you fed those who were hungry. You gave drink to those who were thirsty. You clothed those who did not have clothing. You gave shelter to the stranger. There was an activity, there was an active waiting that was expected of Jesus' sheep. 
And yes, we will have opportunities here at Mars Hill for us to pursue this together, but don't let the church dictate that for you. If there's someone in your neighborhood who you know you need to clothe or feed, whatever that looks like, do it, church. Respond to the call of the widow. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit because that's how we will announce the coming of Jesus today. I want to end with this quote, again, from Ben Myers. He was, in part, quoting Gregory of Nyssa. The divine judgment does not primarily bring punishment on sinners. It operates only by separating good from evil and pulling the soul toward communion and blessedness. And then Myers himself continues, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. That will be the best thing that ever happens to us. On our judgment day, we will be able for the first time to see the truth of our lives when we see ourselves as loved. May it be so. Amen.